this is Anya, and we are back. Dr. Federica Fazzanotti is a historian and prolific author from Italy. She currently serves as a non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institution Center for Security, Strategy, and Technology, and as a senior associate at Milan's ISPI. In the past, she has served as a consultant for former U.S. Secretary of Defense James Mattis. I sat down with Dr. Fazzanotti to discuss Russia's private military companies, or PMCs. PMCs are essentially militant groups deployed, covertly, by Russia to do the state's strategic bidding. Since mercenaries are officially illegal in Russia, these groups operate essentially as offshore companies. They've come to be called ghost armies. The primary group, the group that does the dirty work of the state, is called the Wagner Group. The Wagner Group has boots on the ground across the world, from various African countries to Syria to Ukraine. They have committed all sorts of massacres and crimes against humanity. Here's our conversation. Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to talk to you today. I would love to just start out by hearing kind of a general picture from you about Russian PMCs. What are they? Where are they? How did we get here? Thank you for having me here, first of all. And uh, yes, uh, um, the Wagner Group is not just, uh, let's say, the first PMC, the first uh, private contractor. The story started around the 90s uh, with uh, different contractors like the Moran Security Group or the Slavonic Corps. They were more or less something more connected to security services for, for businessmen, Russian businessmen all around the world. Um, with uh, the Wagner Group, uh, the, the situation on the table changed a little bit, uh, became a little bit more articulate and complex. Uh, they are, yes, um, private contractors, um, but they are very different from uh, the American, for example, private contractors like uh, Blackwaters, for example. Because while uh, Blackwaters uh, just does the interest of uh, its owner, Prince, in this case, uh, the Wagner Group is more uh, connected to the Kremlin. No matter what they say, no matter what Lavrov, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, the Russian Minister of Foreign Affairs says about they are just a private business and uh, the Kremlin has nothing to do with them. Right. Just uh, uh, four years ago, in 2018, the Kremlin, the government, let's say, uh, outlawed uh, uh, mercenaries under a precise article 359 uh, of its criminal code. We have no connection, they say. They are, you know, out of the law. Yeah. But in the end, they control uh, them very well. And this kind of being, you know, out of the law, uh, it's a kind of blackmail in some way. And so it's easier mm. to control them in, in that many makes respects. So much sense. The owner yeah. of uh, the Wagner Group uh, is, a, is an old uh, friend uh, of Mr. Putin, uh, Prigozhin, uh, and, um, but it doesn't, it, I mean, uh, here we are talking about oligarchs, so it, it doesn't have just, uh, just the Wagner Group. Uh, let's say that he owns also the Internet Research Agency. Um, ah. Of course, which control farm, right? Exactly, which operates yeah. in on another dimension of what we call irregular wars. 
so yeah. and hybrid wars so on one side we have uh, a, a, a group of uh, mercenaries uh, fighting on, on their own and on the other side but on the ground and on the other side uh, we have uh, you know internet uh, operations uh, of any kind and trolling and, and so on and plus also getting intelligence uh, and all these kind of things so uh, it's a pretty articulate um, dimension, let's say. But they are very uh, busy in the last, uh, they've been very busy in the last few years. Um, when we talk about the Wagner Group, uh, although the others were already, as I said, uh, present uh, since the 90s, uh, the Wagner Group became really operative after uh, the problems in Crimea and Donbass, so after yeah. 2014. And from that moment on, they've uh, spread all over, you know, all over the world uh, because we, we found them in Syria, where they had a huge fight against uh, uh, special American special forces. Uh, and and they lost uh, miserably right. uh, against uh, against the United States in that case and demonstrating that they were very good in operating against civilians but not against uh, uh, very well trained uh, uh, soldiers and special forces and um, and so they they are really present in Africa at the moment uh, we know that uh, at least 19 countries have signed uh, wow. operations with them. So we go from uh, Libya uh, to Sudan to Mali, Mozambique, uh, the Central Repu African Republic. I mean, they are all over, you know, the, the most interesting places in Africa. And they use the same strategy in every country. There's so much to unpack there, and I'm so I, I read your piece about their involvement in Africa specifically, where you said that their kind of primary goal, or, or perhaps it's better to say that the Rus Russian state's primary goal is to subvert U.S. actions in Africa. And I'm wondering, first of all, what does that you know look like? Um, what kind of policies are are they? carrying out or what kind of actions are they prioritizing? And I'm also wondering if you can kind of expand a little, a little bit upon the relationship between these African governments and these groups like the Wagner Group, um, because I'm sure that it's very transactional and I, I know that there's a lot of kind of human rights abuses implied in, in those dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, the idea is to create a kind of uh, uh, dependency uh, from yeah. uh, Moscow and uh, this uh, connection is played on uh, um, on uh, military assets and yeah. uh, so they they in, in this way they give usually uh, military support to the African governments uh, that usually are really rich in raw materials but very poor in uh, uh, security training, uh, in, uh, you know, um, really military capacities. Yeah. Um, so it's really an exchange because these governments uh, do not have uh, strong uh, uh, armies, 
well, you know, well-trained armies. And uh, so they ask to the Wagner group, uh, you know, the support uh, for their soldiers, uh, support for the most important institutions, uh, support in training, um, and uh, in exchange, they give, of course, raw materials. This yeah. is one thing. But the other is geopolitical, is, is strategical, uh, meaning the location of these places. Uh, take, for example, uh, Libya. Libya is uh, an extraordinary, um, well-located country in Africa because it's in the middle of the Maghreb, it's, uh, you know, uh, the door for the Mediterranean, mm. just, uh, you know, uh, above uh, uh, the Sahel, and uh, is extremely rich uh, in, uh, in oil and in gas. And so having, you know, a, an outpost in, in that position for Russians could be really interesting. And uh, the best way to do this is just not to move institutional military assets, but to move someone that at a certain point you can say who. Mm. I remember, for example, once I was uh, in this very important uh, conference uh, uh, in Rome, uh, organized by, you know, the, the, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, the Italian Minister of Foreign Affairs, and there was, as a guest, Lavrov. And uh, someone asked him, what about the Wagner Group in Libya? And, and, and Lavrov said, uh, uh, I don't know them, wow. I, I have no connection, who are they? Yeah. So in this way it's very easy to move, and, but in exchange, and that's the big difference uh, uh, you know, between uh, the, the Russians and the Americans, for example, uh, through this kind of military groups, uh, mercenaries, they, the government obtains uh, uh, interesting, you know, deals. And so it's mm. not just uh, an economic one, like raw materials, uh, but it's also a strategic one, uh, like uh, one port in Sudan, for example, or um, the chance, the possibility to have uh, an outpost in some port uh, of Cyrenaica. Still, it's not like this. But, you know, Russians do not have uh, a strong uh, um, uh, military fleet in the Mediterranean, yeah. like, for example, the United States has, or NATO. So they, they let's say, they, they need to have something like this. And if you don't have vessels, boats, in the end you can have a port. For, mm. your, for your air fighters, you know? So maybe yeah. that's, that's the interest for Russians for Africa. And the example of Libya is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, that must be such a, a kind of fine line to walk with this, you know, plausible deniability, because if you are, you know, trying to project a certain image of, of detachment for the international community, but then you are uh, coming in and, and occupying these these ports, these other kind of resources, I mean, that must be very, very visible, right? I, I don't know if, if what you're saying is, you know, for this port in Sudan, the Russian kind of state is able to deploy groups or, or its own forces uh, directly there, or is it just kind of the the proxy within the... It's the proxy. The, these, it's yeah, the proxy. Okay. 
and uh, but it's very clear to everyone uh, that uh, they they could do they could stop mm. this kind of behavior from uh, uh, the Wagner group but the Kremlin just doesn't want to do that it's yeah. clear it's clear to everyone i mean it's it's you know no doubt about that but in this way if you think they they have now at least uh, as far as we know 19 Uh, connections, strong connections with uh, uh, African nations in different layers, you know, resources, uh, uh, geopolitical uh, outposts, intelligence. Wow. Also France, which is so active in the Sahel. uh, One of the reasons why France is going away from Mali, for example, is the continues more and more, you know, presence of uh, the Wagner group and this criminal behavior. So this is, uh, this is something, you know, um, that it's not going to end, uh, you know, very soon, in my opinion, and they, and they will take uh, more and more control of, uh, you know, the African territory. I mean, that's really shocking in terms of the scale of their presence already. And, And again, there's this I was saying to you earlier before we started recording, I, I, you know, I feel like I hear whispers of of these PMCs, but I don't actually hear a full-fledged conversation, at least, you know, in the kind of more mainstream circles. But, it, I mean, it sounds like they, they really have a hold on, on the continent. Are there parallels to be drawn between their actions in Africa and the Belt and Road Initiative of, of China? I mean, it sounds like it's maybe more brutal, um, but in terms of kind of creating these dependencies... Well, uh, for sure, uh, they they have been present also, you know, in Syria. They they had, yeah. uh, you know, uh, of course, you know, they they were really actors there, um, and they were also present uh, uh, in Ukraine. They still yeah. are. I mean, uh, voices, rumors uh, tell us that now uh, many of them uh, withdrawn from. Uh, um, from Libya towards uh, Ukraine, you know, uh, to the Donbas. Um, yeah. And apparently some of them have already been killed in the Donbas. So, um, of course, it's difficult to say because uh, around them there is always uh, a thick, uh, you know, fog. So it's yeah. very difficult, you know. You have also... Uh, many people ask me the numbers, for example, of the Wagner group uh, in Libya. Libya is, is my, you know, specialty and uh, of studies. And uh, it's difficult to say because they, it's difficult to detect them and their presence. Mm. Uh, so, uh, and this is one of their strengths, by the way. Probably 2,000, probably, but now maybe many of them uh, left, uh, you know, to go to the Donbass. Uh, so, uh, for sure they're still present, uh, but it's difficult to say in, in, uh, in which numbers. And uh, the same is yeah. for Sudan, for, you know, the Central African Republic and, and for, you know, Mozambique and so on. So, it, it's difficult to say, but they are present and they are creating, you know, big, strong, deep connections between, in the end, African governments and the Russian government, you know, the Kremlin. So, uh, and no matter what Lavrov says, uh, you know, and all the others, they are present on, on the territory and they are operating, 
you know, just to, to, to create a, a space for business. And then no matter what, I mean, if the population will be under assault, uh, if uh, someone will commit uh, crimes against the civilians and so on, I mean, who cares? What are some of the reports that you hear or have heard about uh, concerning these kinds of attacks on civilians or, or other atrocities committed by these groups? Yeah, yeah. In, in the Central African Republic, for example, I wrote about that. Uh, I mean, they are acting uh, with no consideration of uh, uh, human rights. Um, and so they are killing people without, you know, any problem. So they are, they are behaving like that, and that's uh, really typical. Also in Libya, they put mines uh, on the terrain, and then uh, mm. you know they go oh away. So it's uh, it's uh, it's like that. I mean, they can of course support uh, and permit these governments to be, you know, to last maybe a little bit more, uh, to have more control of the terrain. But then in the end, they are really dangerous uh, and uh, they they are not of course the good solution for these countries at all so so these governments are uh, employing them it sounds from what you've said you know military training military capacity but is there also an element uh, maybe in some cases at least where leaders are trying to suppress the public and, and remain in power Absolutely. is this are they authorizing the, these killings what are they asking these well, it's difficult. Do. It's difficult to say, but for sure they 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 permit uh, yeah. these mercenaries to behave like that. The United States is observing them uh, closely, but still, I don't I don't see a real strategy, you know, against this kind of operations uh, from Russia. And uh, you know, they 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 let it go, and uh, probably you know we would see in the future, but. The future mm. is dark. I mean, they are taking power and um, they are more and more present uh, in, in the African continent. Yeah. And why is that? Why is the U.S. not responding more? Because, again, it doesn't seem like this idea of plausible deniability really works in the international sense. Well, sometimes they answer, like in, like in yeah. Syria, for example, um, in, um, in um, 2018. Um, right. And uh, I mean, they, they, the United States de demonstrated in that occasion, uh, which is absolutely clear for everyone, and you know, open. It's an open source. They demonstrated, uh, you know, the absolute difference between uh, American special forces and uh, Russian uh, contractors. But in the end, uh, you know, probably the, the, the American strategy towards Africa should be more holistic and uh, more consistent. Also in Libya, the operations uh, made by the United States have been very randomic, very, you know, cherry picking. And there mm. was no strategy in the last years. And I, I mean, Li Libya and Africa in general, are not a, pri a priority for, uh, you know, the United States. Right. That must play into it. Like, there's an aspect of the U.S. is primarily acting in its own immediate interests and maybe not... Yeah, and plus you, a, yeah. you, you have to, to think that um, Europe has been, uh, in the last years, very divided inside and... Mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, with different, uh, you know, maybe with the same targets, but with different way uh, of, you know, reaching, getting to that target, treating uh, such a big continent like Africa, you know, just uh, with Italy alone or France uh, in its own way or, you know, others. It's difficult to reach something really consistent. So, um, so that's the point. Uh, let's see in the future. I think that Europe should be extremely strategic, and but the problem is always connected to, you know, the the the, the original sins of democracy, uh, which are the good thing and and the, the you know the problem elections. So you have mm. uh, in Europe, like the United States, uh, presidents, uh, prime ministers, and so on. Uh, you know the political leadership extremely interested in elections, rightly, and so they yeah. move their political programs just watching to you know the the, the, the voters, right? <laughs> and so it's difficult to create a strategy, you know, long-term strategy for Africa. Mm. Yeah, I mean. I- I do understand that, you know, the U.S. and the West and Europe especially are, are really directly implicated in in this kind of field because of Russia specifically. And, and this is a Russian issue and a Russian imposition. Um, I think, you know, it's easy for us to kind of look at Africa and, you know, coming from the U.S. and Italy as as a problem area that, that we have like a lot of influence over kind of in that vein, I'm wondering if there's maybe more grassroots domestic uh, responses among people within these specific African countries or other African countries to try and, you know, resist Russia's involvement in these in these areas. Hey, it should be like this, but it's not. Usually these leaders wants to, the African leaders uh, wants to reach their targets no matter what. And uh, the Wagner Group, uh, as an example, is absolutely, you know, a perfect tool. Uh, yeah. Silent, uh, uh, difficult to detect. Uh, um, they just ask for money and uh, for, you know, money or payment in nature, like uh, natural raw resources. Uh, yeah. and uh, and then of course uh, maybe the, the 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 chance to to do some intelligence to control uh, adversaries like the United States uh, operating in Africa having human intelligence in many different ways from the locals so it's uh, it's too much interesting for you know for Russia and on the other side too much interesting for the local governments uh, who, which mm-hmm. are weak and in need of uh, of uh, you know a support so shifting gears a little bit um, I'm wondering if we can go back to this understanding of where these groups came from and you mentioned Prigozhin he's a, a Russian oligarch if I if I understand correctly and and why is he kind of taking on this role of, of leading these hybrid or, or, you know, non-traditional wars as they're referred to? Well, because it's very convenient, first of all, mm. and yeah. uh, it's absolutely, you know, uh, innovative in this way because it's, um, it's a, it's a complex, organi- uh, complex organization. So you have 
um, you know, the Internet Research Agency on one side, operating on Internet, and on the other side, on the ground, you have this kind of contractors. And you can, you can do extremely uh, good uh, uh, deals business deals, I mean, uh, with, uh, with Africans or with Syrians or whatever. So yeah. I think that, you know, it has been uh, in, in some many respects in, in, in a natural, you know, uh, path uh, for uh, Rigozin. Yeah, a natural path in terms of, of money making, it seems. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, making uh, happy Putin. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we, we have already underst understood that uh, Putin is not a guy very, you know, committed to human uh, rights, uh, you know. <laughs> yes. And, and yeah. So Definitely. it's uh, his way of, you know, his, his way of behaving has always been the same. And uh, the Wagner group uh, is absolutely on his, you know. Yeah, his payroll. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So... Um, and I think that the investments in this way uh, will uh, will continue for Russia, you know. And uh, yeah. now we will see in in the next uh, in the next few weeks what will happen in the in the area of the Donbas, uh, where the Wagner Group is present. So uh, we will see what's going to happen there. I think you've just touched on something so important, which is you know, I think with everything that's going on in Ukraine today, there is such an attitude of shock and and there are conversations around you know how could putin do this you know he's suddenly acting as this irrational figure where he's always been like this he's never been concerned with the you know the human costs of his war and i think it's very telling because it it's just it's so clear that the international community has just turned away in the past and now it's because it's right you know, in Europe, it's harder to look the other way. Yes, absolutely. You can, yeah. you can, uh, you know, uh, see what happened in Syria. I mean, the level of this yes. disruption and destruction uh, of uh, the Russian forces uh, on uh, the, 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 the cities of Syria has been uh, terrible, like mm. uh, this one in Ukraine. But as you said, the difference is that one is uh, far away and the other one is... Uh, just you know a, a neighbor yeah yeah and and we all know that that putin has been partnering with assad in syria but in terms of the actual russian boots on the ground has it been the case that this fog around these groups the wagner group specifically in syria has kind of enabled inaction on the part of the international community because it's harder to kind of pinpoint you know what he's been Doing? Well, I think that uh, still is very difficult to detect the movements uh, of, uh, you know, these kind of groups, uh, mercenary groups, uh, you know, when they are on the ground. Uh, they can hide very well and uh, mm. usually they have the support uh, of the local government. So it's very difficult to reach them in many respects. Sometimes it happens. But... Uh, but it's difficult for sure. Um, and that's why they, they have been used so much uh, in, uh, in the last few years, I mean, in the last eight years. Um, and I'm pretty sure that Russians will 
you know, keep using them uh, in, uh, in, uh, in all the operations, not only in Africa, of course, and uh, I think that we, we will uh, understand in the future what, uh, what they will do in, uh, in Ukraine. Yeah, I'm wondering if you have a sense of how these kind of groups are bureaucratically organized. Um, is there kind of a, a very specific, almost military hierarchy, or is it um, a little bit more informal? And and how do we see them kind of intersecting with the the Russian state and those oligarchs and and even Putin? Well, uh, they are definitely a world uh, apart. I mean, the connections with uh, uh, the other, you know, the leadership, the Russian leadership, I think it's not so uh, clear and um, it's difficult to say if they have uh, military ranking in the, in the usual, you know, in the usual uh, terms. Mm. I think that they are much more flexible and that's why they work so well uh, in controlling the terrain. They can uh, change, uh, they can be moved very quickly. Uh, they usually have light uh, uh, weapons, um, but yes, uh, um, still they they are not able, in my opinion. I mean, just watching what what we we can see, you know, from uh, you know the the media and uh, you know the information we have. Uh, they are not at the same level of you know a very well trained uh, army. They are completely different. They are very good in moving, you know, uh, in uh, in the swamps uh, and uh, in silence mm. uh, and uh, attacking civilians who are not trained at all. But in the end, yeah. when we have observed them uh, in, uh, you know, in the reality of uh, of a real fight, of a real battle, at least I'm, I'm talking about the results I've seen, uh, they are not uh, up to the expectations, in my opinion. Yeah. And who are these fighters? I mean, are these former Russian Depend. troops? Yes. This, yeah. Yes. They can come from, uh, you know, uh, different uh, areas. Usually they are military, of course, so they had uh, yeah. a, a training. But one thing is having a training uh, by yourself because of your past and so on. But one thing is having a training altogether. It's very different. And um, sometimes they, they are just hired and then they go to operations. So that's why uh, they do not perform so well, in my opinion. These kind of uh, contractors, uh, some, not many, but some of them maybe are, come from abroad, are not real Russians. You know, at the beginning, the group was really, you know, was tiny. Uh, now it has it has become a real big organization. You know, you have yeah. thousands of uh, uh, fighters all over the world. Because if you think yeah. that you have in Libya, now it's difficult to say right now, but you know, since 2017 they were around two two thousand. If you go to Sudan, they were between 300 500 if you go to you know the the car they were almost 500 and so on i mean they they have become a real organization the group uh, has been more i don't know how to say institutionalized institutionalized yeah, in, yeah. institutionalized yeah you know and um, mm. and so 
um, but still remaining absolutely uh, a military group uh, uh, that goes uh, in every possible place uh, and have military targets. So the political, the political targets come later. I see. So it evolved to become more of a political actor in its own right. If that's in some way, in some way it is. Yeah. Yes, in some way it is. But I, I see more, let's say, they are like, uh, in my opinion, uh, the unofficial tactic used yeah. by the government. You have the official on one side, the political, the real political one, meaning, you know, you, you, you reach some result uh, uh, through political leadership uh, and ministers and, you know, uh, political right. leaders. And on the other side, this is the official, on the other side you have the unofficial uh, target which, which you, can, you can have through this kind uh, of, uh, uh, you know, of uh, organizations. Right, covert actions. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. I mean, but it's something that it's, uh, until now, uh, you know, it's, it's working. At least uh, until someone will say enough is enough. And yeah, that was going to be my next question. How do we say enough? Is the international community able to prosecute these groups at all? Like, is there even a legal framework around that because the Wagner group specifically doesn't even legally exist? I don't even know what that what that looks like. Or should we just attack them? Is this a military operation that needs to happen? That should be the case, meaning that we know that in many African countries, but also in Syria, they have committed uh, crimes against mm. uh, human beings. So yeah. uh, that should be the case. But, uh, uh, you know, it's very difficult to, you know, to, to attract the attention of the international community on these kind of things. Many of uh, those crimes uh, uh, are committed in silence, you know, in mm. darkness. And uh, so they are very difficult to be detected and then persecuted. Because yeah. in, in that way you need an international, uh, how do you like say? Like investigation? Yes, investigation and, and so on. So, Yeah, gosh. Do you have any particular ideas about what our next move should be, what the next step should be? The, I think that they will be very busy in, uh, in the Donbass, you know, in the, in the mm -hmm. next uh, month. But I believe that they will, they will have anyway, a, you know, a boot uh, in Africa. So they won't yeah. leave definitely Libya. Uh, or other countries uh, where they have uh, contracts, you know, depending on the political situation on the ground, meaning, for example, in Libya. Uh, now, at the moment, there are two different governments, so one, uh, uh, you know, located in Tripoli and the other one in Tobruk, in Cyrenaica. They are trying to, 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 you know, to make a deal in some way to find common ground, but I see this very difficult. And when you know, it will be impossible to find an agreement and a political agreement between these two governments. Again, another time we will see weapons coming out. And uh, in that precise mm. moment, you know, the use of force uh, goes to not only the local militias, but to the, the contractors, uh, you know, Syrian fighters, uh, Sudanese, Chadian, uh, 
uh, Russians, uh, you know, all the people that we have are used to see uh, on the ground in Libya and in other in other places. So their uh, way of acting, I think it's strictly connected to what's happening in the political term, you know, in the specific yeah. country. So is that an opportune time to, to be able to kind of exploit that visibility and, and maybe launch some sort of investigation that can prove fruitful? Is that maybe the worst time? I see. Yeah, yeah. I think that now it's pretty impossible. Africa in this moment is uh, really a, a second problem for United States and also at this point for uh, Europe. We will see maybe yeah. something moving in the next few weeks when uh, the sea and the weather improve, migrants uh, come yeah. to the Italian shores. Um, so that could be, you know, a game changer. But at the moment, uh, Europe is absolutely focused uh, on what's happening, in, you know, east. It seems at least that, that these groups feed off of instability because that's when absolutely. they're most... Desired, yeah. Absolutely. We, we have seen this uh, in, uh, in Libya that I follow very well daily. I mean, they, they have really disrupted the, the military process. You know, the, there was a civil war, mm. uh, you know, fight by different militias, cluster of militias and, and so on. But uh, they were local. When, you know, external actors came, you know, into the game, everything changed. Um, mm. And so at a certain point, the Wagner group entered uh, supporting the east side, uh, you know, in Cyrenaica, who was putting a siege uh, on Tripoli uh, through, you know, these military men, uh, Field Marshal Khalifa Haftar. And the Russians completely changed the game and gave mm. a huge advance to the eastern part. In, in such a way that uh, uh, Turks, you know, were called by the Tripoli government uh, for helping them because mm. they, they, were, they were losing against uh, the Russians. So, yes, they, sometimes they can be, you know, a game changer in the internal yeah. and local dynamics. And I'm just curious, did, did the Turks come in and, and help or was this? Absolutely, yes, they changed the result of the war. And uh, everything stopped at, at a certain point, and still we are, you know, in a stuck in, in that kind of, uh, you know, uh, moveless situation. We will see. We will yeah. see in the future. Something will happen for sure in the next months. And meanwhile, Russia profits. Yes, absolutely. In Libya, still, uh, it has to be cleared. Um, anyway, they are uh, present uh, on the the most important. Uh, um, oil fields as mm. you know private guards so they wow. can you know control uh, you know these uh, oil fields and so but this is a huge power because in Libya who controls the oil fields controls the you know the, the country the biggest uh, oil fields are at east you know on the, on the east side of the country so the, the Wagner group is there to control and to maintain, you know, control of those huge important benefits. Yeah. That's why I think that they will stay, they will keep staying in Libya just because they have to control uh, those extremely important resources of money and income. Yeah. Yeah. 
And and so going back to Ukraine, I don't know if you have any insight into the Wagner Group's involvement in that in that country at the moment in the conflict or maybe other PMCs. Well, um, I don't have any particular um, element, but I can tell you that uh, usually they are used uh, uh, these kind of contractors in irregular operations uh, uh, like you know uh, counterinsurgency things like that, mm. to better control the population because they are ruthless, because they, you know, are distant from any military law. They are very difficult to detect, they are very difficult to put in prison, they are much easier to move in this kind of very difficult and complex battlefield. So I think that they will be used not so much for big operations like clash, you know, operations, uh, massive operations. But, you know, afterwards, when you have to take mm. a, a, a city... And you brutalize the population to do so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I see their specificity fighting mm. in urban context. Like the precision. Yeah. yeah. Wow. They are, I mean, in my opinion, just criminals. So I think that they need to be more followed and, uh, you know, they should be a, a point of interest uh, from, uh, you know, the, the democratic governments all around the world. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was so fascinating and I'm really glad we got to talk about something so important and so under kind of represented in the media. Thank you so much. In March of 2022, the Wagner Group committed the worst civilian massacre in Mali since the beginning of the nation's ongoing conflict. In a town called Mora, helicopters descended on the marketplace and soldiers began shooting at civilians, ostensibly to kill potential Salafi extremists. Over a five-day period, Wagner Group militants executed hundreds of Malians. The New York Times identified two mass grave sites through satellite imagery in the village of Mora in connection with this attack. Thanks so much for listening, and special thanks to our guest, Dr. Fascinati. We'll be back soon.